0: Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December tenth, two 2015, rapidly closing in on the end of the year. We're glad you're with us here tonight, and we look forward to hearing from you at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com or in the chat room if you're watching us live. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad.
2: Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to our discussion. Good to be with you as
1: well. And we are looking forward to our discussion. And this is an interactive Bible study in which we give you the opportunity to join in the discussion. In fact, the discussion is enhanced when you participate. Yeah, we
2: always think our study is better when you participate. Of course, we get the majority of our participation these days through the chat room, but you can call in. You can send us an email. We got our email inbox up, and we're monitoring it. You can send us an email. We'll try to get your comments in. Uh, we we again think it's best when you participate, and we want we want to encourage that.
1: We're looking forward to hearing from you. And uh, behind the controls, we have got a rookie tonight, Justin from Florida, is uh, here. Uh, running the boards for us. So yeah. yeah, so thanks, Justin, yeah. for
2: being here and look forward to uh, him Some him flawless execution. Clicking between the cameras and doing all the necessary yeah. technical stuff for us. All right. Kevin's listening to us in
1: Cincinnati. I think Sharon is in South Carolina. Arthur and Josh and Kristen are in Columbia, Tennessee tonight. So we're looking forward to a good discussion with those who have already signed in. And if you've not signed in the chat room, we encourage you to do that there. An interesting
2: and important study uh, tonight. Jacob, we came across a blog by a man by the name of Bevins Welder. Yes. He's a Baptist preacher in Corpus Christi, Texas, at the Bible Believers Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas. He maintains a blog page, and on his blog page, he had a, a blog entitled, Is Water Baptism Essential for Salvation?, we want to review that tonight. In fact, we invited, uh, Mr. Welder to join us for the discussion tonight, yeah. but he wasn't able to so. He was yeah, kind enough to respond, and we appreciate that, but he, uh, he was not able to be with us live on the program tonight. But we have his blog post, and I think it probably does a fitting job of describing his position yeah. on the question, is water baptism essential for salvation? At the, the very first word in that blog is no, period. Yeah. So, in answer to the question, is water baptism essential for salvation? Mr. Welder's position is no. Yes. Period. Right. right. Now, uh, he goes on to say there are many denominations that teach you that water baptism is essential for salvation. As a result, they baptize babies, like the Catholics, and Methodists, and Episcopalians do, or they make water baptism a condition for salvation when you're older. Church of Christ, and he mentions the Church of Christ, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and others. Of course, they use Scripture to prove their doctrine. Almost all heresies are proved by the Bible. And so he, he is saying that our position our position is different than his. He says, no, water baptism is not essential for salvation. We say, yes, it certainly is essential for salvation. But he calls that a heresy to take that position. So you know, we might just make a point right here, Jacob. These days, a lot of people just sort of want to whitewash all religious differences. Uh, what you believe doesn't matter. I don't think Mr. Welder believes that. No, no. He and we don't believe that. Right. And so that that's a good thing that's in a noble, sense. Yeah. In other words, he's saying we're heretics for teaching that you must be baptized to be saved. So there's, there's in no, a way, that's refreshing, I guess. So it it is so. I'm, I, I'm saying if you believe it, then then stand for it. Yeah. Defend it and, and accept the consequences of it. Mr. Welder says we're heretics because we teach the necessity of water baptism fine if we're wrong then we are heretics about that and we shouldn't just whitewash that on the other hand if he's wrong we believe he's a heretic on yeah. that question so right. i mean uh, i think we should state it like it really is and right. i'm not, and I it's, it's, not, not hate, it's not hateful to it's say not that. hateful we're not we're not yeah. timid about that and i think and i appreciate the fact that he's apparently not timid about that you went the wrong way there too. okay <laughs> a little more a little all more. right okay uh and so I think it's I think it's a good thing to discuss our religious differences instead of just acting like they don't exist.
1: That's right. And we want to discuss our differences with you if you disagree with us tonight or any time. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Does the Bible teach that water baptism is essential for salvation? The word Bible is the, is the key word here. We want to know what the scriptures teach because we believe the scriptures are from God. They're infallible. And they're what God wants from us in our lives, and so we need to look to the Scriptures. Does God expect that we will be baptized? Does he expect and
2: demand it in order
1: to be pleasing to him and to be saved?
2: Yeah. Um, We sent this uh, topic out to our update list earlier today, and in that post that we sent to our update list, we gave you the link to this blog. I won't give it all to you, but I give you the home page, and then I think you can probably find the, the blog is water baptism essential for salvation the, his blog is at my3bc my3bc.com my3bc.com uh, that's uh, jake are you looking it up to see if that works no i'm not but oh, it is. Okay. that does work okay. i was on it today yeah uh, so you can go to his blog there and find the find the post we're going to try to read most of it. it's not that long and we're going to try to read most of it tonight because he deals with five specific texts that we that he says we use as proof text and use them wrong. He says we use these verses in error to come to the conclusion that baptism is essential for salvation. Uh, they are Acts two thirty-eight, Mark 16, 16, 1 Peter three twenty-one, John three verses five and six, Romans six verses three through six. Yes. So we got five passages there. And we want to look at each of those. We sent, as we said, we sent this information out earlier today to our update list. Always remind you, if you're not getting our emails, send us an email to question at collegeview. Questions at com. Say, put me on the list. We'll do that. And you'll get our weekly updates as to our topic for discussion on the virtual Bible study. All We've right. talked about baptism before, Jacob. It is a sticking point. It is. A- it, it, and it, but it is necessary to keep talking about it because we obviously haven't come to an agreement in the religious world on this subject. It's very critical. It's about salvation. You know, this is not like what color you're going to paint your living room. Right. This is about whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. This is are you going to be saved or not? And so this is of of eternal consequence and that's why several times through the course of our virtual bible study uh, over 10 plus years we've talked about baptism and no doubt we'll have to talk about it more because it is such a uh, as you called it a sticking point and it is
1: we believe the scriptures are clear on it and I don't think anyone would deny that the scriptures command baptism uh, at least I don't think Mr. Welder would deny that the scriptures command baptism uh, he would just say it's not required for salvation right now that in and of itself seems to be somewhat of an oxymoron to me that the scriptures would command it but it's not required for salvation the way I understand the scriptures is if God said it, it's
2: required for salvation if it's commanded, then how could you say it wouldn't affect your salvation if you chose not to do it uh, as God commanded it would clearly affect your yeah, salvation
1: yeah, so this is a big like, uh, It's baptism is not required for salvation but you should do it but it's commanded and you should do it and you should do it well, that there seems to be a disconnect there Hebrews chapter five verse 9 says Jesus have and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We're going to look at passage here that uh, Mr. Welder brings up that where Jesus explicitly commanded baptism. It says here in Hebrews chapter 5 verse nine he's going to save he's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him.
2: So do so we obey that, it or not? So if, if Jesus
1: commanded baptism, he's going to save those who obey him, then to me, baptism is required for salvation. And if you
2: chose not to, you would be disobedient. And he wouldn't save you. Yeah. And I think probably what Mr. Welder would say is, well, I I think you should be baptized, and I'm going to obey that command to be baptized. I just don't think you have to do it to be saved. And as you say, that's
1: self-contradictory position, really. It seems to be. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 gives us a similar statement. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Again... I don't think Mr. Welder would deny that being baptized is the will of the Father. And Jesus said the people who are going to be saved are going to be the ones who do the will of the Father. I don't know how you can work around that. So I think that answers the question, is baptism required for salvation? We, we all agree that Jesus did command it. And he said he would be the author of eternal salvation of those who obey him. And those who do the will of the Father will be saved. It seems to me that that settles the question in and of itself.
2: Yeah, yeah. So let's go to some of these passages, Jacob, and, and see. Let me read you what he says about the first one. It's the one that always comes up. Uh, I think some people think it is our favorite verse in the Bible. It's a plain verse. It's very clear, and it states its facts very straightforwardly. Yes. Uh, Acts two thirty eight. He says the key verse for this doctrine. The, the doctrine he's talking about is that baptism is necessary for salvation. The key verse for this doctrine called baptismal regeneration, we don't call it that. Right. We don't believe we're, we don't, we don't teach the notion of baptismal regeneration. Right. We believe we say we're saved by the blood of Christ. Right. But we have to meet the conditions God has set forth in order to have that regeneration through the blood of Christ. And, and we're not the only ones who think you have to meet conditions. Yeah. Mr. Welder would
1: as well. Yeah. That there are certain things you, that you, conditions you got to meet. You got to, you got to have belief. Yeah. He would say you've got to express your belief with some type of confession. He'd also, I think, agree that you have to repent. Those are conditions that you have to meet if you don't I, meet them. I
2: think I can say with all honesty, I have never used the expression baptismal regeneration in any sermon I've ever preached. Right. We don't teach baptismal regeneration. We teach the necessity of baptism. Uh, but uh, that's not a biblical expression. Now, what he may think it means or what we might think that's... That, connotes is, might be different, but it's not a biblical expression. Yeah. So he goes on. In Acts 2.38, uh, Acts 2.38 is the baptism preached by Peter to the Jews who were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. Up until Peter pointed out to them that they re, that the resurrected Jesus was the same one they had crucified, they weren't concerned about having killed him. Well, I think that's probably true. I mean, he... He brought this to their attention. He convicted them. He convicted their hearts that they had actually killed the very Son of God. Right, right. Uh, He says, but since Jesus was going to make his foes his footstool, these guys were in serious trouble. Acts 2, verses 35 through 36, agreed. Mm -hmm. And when they found out, they asked, what shall we do? Now, think about that. That's all true. I, I don't have any difference with him up to this point. I have been a participant in the murder of God's only begotten Son, and I'm His enemy here. Yeah, He's going to make my His foes. His I'm in footstool. trouble because I'm I'm now at adversarial relationship. I'm on with the God. wrong side of this equation. Yeah. Okay. So so they and when uh, so they found out and they asked what shall we do? Notice this though. He goes on to say they did not ask what to do to be saved. They wanted to know what to do about their hearts being pricked over crucifying a now risen Savior. Now how does uh, how does that follow? Uh, they were not asking what to do to be saved. They wanted to know what to do about their hearts being okay. Prepared. Now
1: let's let's make let's make a, a a parallel here. Being saved is synonymous with being in a relationship with with God. Yeah. They were in a relationship with God, but how could they be His foes?
2: No. Well, we don't think they were. He, no. He's saying. Mister Welder was saying they. they, they, they it wasn't they, a question about being saved. They weren't asking about being right. saved. Right. They were asking about. What do we do about our hearts now because we, we feel convicted that we killed Jesus? And
1: because, as he referenced here, when David had said, till I make your enemies your footstool, they realized in their heart that they're his enemies. How in the world can you be in a relationship with God and be his enemy at the same time? They weren't saved. The context shows that they weren't saved, and they realized that, and that, therefore their hearts were pricked. Now,
2: notice he goes on and says, he, he says, first they had to repent of what they had done. Well, that's what Acts 2.38 says. When they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? Let's read that. Uh, When they heard this, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So first they, notice, he uses the, the statement, had to. They had to repent. Wait a minute then that says that there was a condition attached to them being saved. There was a condition attached to them having a resolution to this adversarial relationship with God that had resulted from them murdering Jesus. They had to repent. So they had to do something. There was something they had to do. Right. They had to repent. Uh, He says, second... They had to be baptized in the name of Jesus, for Jesus had already forgiven them of this sin. Now, wait just a minute there. They had to be baptized in Jesus' name, for Jesus had already forgiven them of this sin. He references Luke twenty-three, verse thirty-four, and I think most of our listeners already know what that's what that verse says. In Luke chapter twenty-three, verse thirty-four, Jesus. Uh, it says, when they came to the place uh, called Calvary, there they crucified him with the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Now, I was talking to a fellow not long ago who was trying to make that same point, Jesus forgave them. That doesn't say Jesus forgave them. It doesn't say anything about what Jesus did. All it, it, all it amounts to is a request to God. Jesus wanted these people to be forgiven. He asked God to make that forgiveness possible. This says nothing at all about what Jesus did relative to those people or their forgive, or Him forgiving them. That's, that's simply not stated. And you'd be making an argument that you couldn't prove in the text to say that Jesus had already forgiven them. But notice, here's what he does then. This is what Mr. Welder does. They had to be baptized in the name of Jesus, for Jesus had already forgiven them of this sin, Luke twenty three thirty four. This is what for the remission of sins is about. For meaning because of, like jumping for joy, not for meaning in order to get. So here in Luke two, or in Acts 2.38, he says they had to repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. Well, why would they have to repent then? He says repent... And be baptized because your sins are already forgiven. Well, what would they have to repent for if their sins were already forgiven? doesn't make sense. We've pointed out before when we looked at Acts 2.38. If you have to repent, you also have to be baptized because those two commands are are joined with the conjunction and. If repent is necessary for remission of sins, baptism is necessary for remission of sins. They're joined. And that's this is not the only passage
1: where Mr. Welders and others who hold similar the similar position... It's not the only passage where they have to violate a basic law of English there with the the, the uh, contractor or the – I guess it's a contraction. No, it's not a contraction. It's a well, I don't know. They, con- yeah, anyhow, we don't even know our English. <laughs> conjunction. So. Uh, but, uh, yeah, conjunction. It's not the only place where they have to do that. We'll talk about that in a little while. But we need to get to a break. When we get back, we need to, we need to talk some more about this. Separating, trying to divorce the – the repentance from the baptism in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You cannot separate them. They are they are linked. And what one does, the other does. If one is required, both are required. Right. And we want to talk about that when we get back from the break. We'll take your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this.
0: Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this.
3: Hello.
1: Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at
3: my house Friday night? Great. I'll see you there.
1: Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd, but don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U
0: Church of Christ.
2: Here's some quotes worth pondering. He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. Speaking of statistics, here's one. Ten out of ten people die. That being the case, preparing for death, judgment, and eternity should be the most important priority of our lives. Man. Wish I'd said that.
0: Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program.
1: And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about the question, is water baptism required for salvation? We're looking at a blog post uh, made by uh, Bevan's Welder down in Texas, in which he uh, adamantly says it is not required. We're considering that and comparing it to what the scriptures say. We wanted to do so in an honest and uh, kind fashion, of course. Uh, but we do believe that, uh, well, he said we're heretics, and we believe he is wrong in, uh, in his interpretation. And so we're trying to see what the Scriptures teach. Lots of comments in the chat room that we've been missing. Kevin is in Cincinnati, Ohio tonight. He says his first point about Acts 2.37 not being related to salvation is an incorrect conclusion. Since Peter tells them how to get forgiveness of sins in the next passage, verse 38, Kevin asks, how is forgiveness of sins not salvation? Uh, It is a good question, Kevin, and certainly we would say those are synonyms um, or both would be connected to salvation. Um, Kevin says, Mr. Welder would therefore be saying that Peter misunderstood the question the men were asking in verse 37 by his answer (coughs) in verse 38. Mr. Uh, Welder says they weren't concerned about their salvation. And yet
2: he he says they they came to realize that they were enemies with, with God. But yep. they weren't interested in salvation. That doesn't, that doesn't
1: fit. But then uh, Kevin says, well, Peter gives them instructions on how they can get forgiveness of their sins. So Peter must not have understood their question. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Joe in West Virginia says, how can one love Christ and not obey his commands, which include baptism? Without baptism, we're not married to Christ. Right. Uh, and Kevin says, uh, Mr. Welder seems to contradict himself by saying it's important to be baptized, but not a commandment. All actions I do must be
2: authorized. If it's commanded, it's important.
1: It is all right, uh, all right, um, all right. Let's uh, let's keep going. Well, uh, we, let's, as,
2: uh, we've talked about this in the past, but, but I think it's 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 really not possible to talk about this expression for the remission of sins without tying it into another statement in the scripture. Notice he's saying for he he specifically said for the remission of sins is because of. Be baptized for the remission of sins. This is this is sort of the classic Baptist answer to that to that verse. He said, "Be baptized for because your sins have been forgiven." That's the way he would read that. For the remission of sins, he means because you have the remission of sins, you should be baptized. It's already you, the remission of sins has already occurred, and you should be baptized because of it. Well, we we've done this before, but a perfect exercise in this matter is to. Parallel Acts 2.38 with Matthew 26, verse 28. Matthew 26, verse 28 is when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper just before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. And when he gave them the cup to drink, he said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, that's exactly the same expression in your English Bible. But what's also interesting is that it's also exactly the same expression in the New Testament Greek. In the Greek, as well as in the English translations of the Greek, the the phrase is identical. Yes. Identical. Yes. Exactly the same. Yes. So in, in Matthew twenty six twenty eight was Jesus saying, my blood is shed for many because of the remission of sins. Remission of sins has already happened, and so I'm shedding my blood because yeah. remission of sins has already happened. Yeah. Well, obviously not. Nobody thinks that. Right. Mister. Welder doesn't think that. Right. So, if you have that expression in in Matthew twenty six twenty eight, and you understand it, then that is the identical same expression in Acts two thirty eight. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. For the remission of sins is not because of; it's in order to. And Greek scholars can be lined up that will demonstrate that the proper translation. Of Acts two thirty eight does not imply it had already happened. It was unto in order to receive the remission of sins. All right, two two points to make here. First, you can't separate
1: repentance and baptism in that passage. They're linked by the word and. Whatever repentance does, whatever repentance is required for, baptism is as well, because it says repent and be baptized. You've shown that the the a word the can the the, what the statement there for the remission of sins means so that you can re, uh, receive them. We can go over one chapter to chapter 3, verse 19. As Peter is, again, uh, speaking to those who needed salvation, notice what he says in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Was repentance required so that their sins could be blotted out in chapter 3, verse 19? Until they had repented, they weren't converted. And their sins were not blotted out. And so... We see that repentance is required for salvation in chapter 3, verse 19. Therefore, it's required for salvation in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And if it's required for salvation in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, then so is baptism because they're linked by the word and. I think we can show that if repentance is required for salvation as it clearly is, then baptism must be as well from, from Acts chapter two, verse thirty eight. That's right.
2: Okay. Uh real quick, let's let's wrap up Acts two thirty eight. We're gonna have to go faster, Jacob. He goes on to say, third, following their baptism, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because notice that's what it says, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He says, Third, following their baptism, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now if this were the way for everyone to get saved. We would certainly find evidence of it in other places in the Bible. Actually, I think we'd see plenty of examples. I think every every case of conversion in the book of Acts includes baptism. Okay, But he says, alas, this is the only place where we find anything like baptismal regeneration. In fact, we find something totally opposite in Acts 10 where the first Gentile converts were. In Acts 10.44, the Holy Ghost fell on them, and then they were baptized in water. They did not have to be baptized in water, like Acts 2.38, to get the Holy Ghost. Peter even said that God gave these Gentiles the like gift as he did unto us, Acts 11.17. And the whole episode reminded Peter that there was a very distinct difference between water baptism and baptism of the Holy Ghost. I actually agree with that. Water baptism and baptism of the Holy Ghost are not the same thing. Water baptism can't say, but spirit baptism does. Actually, that's not true. There's, there's only two recorded instances of Holy Spirit baptism in the New Testament. The first one was at the first verses of Acts 2, where the apostles were baptized with the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the promise that Jesus made to them in chapter 1 of Acts. Mm-hmm. The only other time we read about it actually happening is in Acts 10, the household of Cornelius, first Gentile converts. The Holy Spirit fell on them as he did on us at the beginning, Peter said, uh, Acts 11, verse 17. In other words, it was a direct baptism of the Holy Spirit, to demonstrate that the Gentiles should be brought into the kingdom just as well as the Jews.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Holy Spirit baptism is not a command. We're not commanded to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to be baptized in water. You know, Holy Spirit baptism was a promise. It was a promise to the apostles in Acts 1. It came also upon the household of Cornelius in, in Acts 10. That's the only, time, only two times we read about it. And it's clear, it served it, a clear
1: purpose in both instances as a sign from God. Exactly right. Uh
2: but Cornelius and his household still had to be baptized. In fact, in in, in chapter ten, at verse uh what is it, forty seven or forty eight uh and verse no yeah, wait a minute, let me get there. Yeah. Verse forty eight. He commanded them to be he, after this, they, mm-hmm. they were they they received the miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit, but they still had to be baptized in water. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So the the command to be baptized still, I I don't think that the Holy Spirit baptism saved them. There's not, you can't prove that from the text, that Holy Spirit baptism saved them. I don't think it did. I think water baptism was still for the remission of sins, even in the case of Cornelius.
1: All right. Uh, By
2: the way, the gift of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2.38, I do not think is... The miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit. No, no. I think it's the gift the Spirit gives us, which is salvation. All
1: right, because it is a promise that is still that we still can look forward to, uh, according uh, to verse 39. All right, uh, as we go on tonight uh, in uh, the chat room. Uh, Sharon says, I'm wondering how many would misunderstand or deny the necessity if they were offered a million dollars if they repented and were baptized. I'm speculating there would be few, if any.
2: I think that's right. There wouldn't be much argument about being baptized. People would be jumping in the baptistry.
1: All right. Uh, and uh, guess 997 says, we cannot rest the scripture for our own purposes. Guest 9116 says, this is definitely the most debated topic I hear in the whole Christian realm. What would you say to a family that loses their six year old child suddenly? Surely God wouldn't want that child to spend eternity in hell if their parents had been taking them to church their whole life growing up, I was told, that I need to understand everything before I go through with baptism. Someone must understand what they're doing and what all this means before they can be saved.
2: We would agree with that. We'd I don't also... think you have to understand everything before you're baptized. I would I would but uh, true. I don't think that's a, a that's not what we're saying. But we do need to understand our need for salvation. We need to have the desire for salvation. We need to have the fundamental faith that helps us understand what it's all about, and that Jesus is the means for us to be saved. Right. There's some basic understandings we have. We don't have to understand.
1: None of us do understand everything. They certainly didn't in Acts chapter two. Right. They didn't. But there's some basic throughout, throughout the book to. of Acts. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly right.
2: Okay. All right. Um, so um, Acts two thirty eight. It's a. It's a. a a text that gets debated a lot. And I think the reason why Mr. Welder and others uh, who are of his persuasion, the reason they go into the attack mode on Acts 2.38 is because that verse really is devastating to their position. And they have to try to explain it away because you just read that and it just jumps off the page at you what it's requiring. Right. Right. So, uh, anyway, uh, th- that would be our answer to that. We're gonna we, we're up to mid mid-hour okay, hour break. Let's take fast. a break. We gotta go fast. We have got four more verses. We're gonna look at Mark sixteen sixteen next.
1: Mark sixteen sixteen another one that's very clear and uh, difficult to explain away. But uh, we'll look at Mister Welder's uh, explanation on the other side of the break. When we get back, we want your thoughts. Join in the chat room. Better yet, give us a call. The line is toll free and open 877-381-4567. three eight one four five six seven. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this.
0: You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is
2: Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A survey by the University of Michigan reported on in USA Today studied traits that mothers think are important to instill in their children. These values were contrasted from the year 1924 to the present times, and so it covered a span of about 90 years. Interesting contrast. Notice this. In 1924, mothers thought teaching their children independence was 24% an important trait. Today, 75%. In 1924, tolerance was only considered to be 6% on the importance scale. Today, 47%. Loyalty to the church back in 24 was considered 50% an important trait for mothers to instill in their children, today only 22%. Strict obedience was 45% considered an important trait in 1924, today only 17%. The results of this survey, while not terribly surprising, are still quite disturbing. In 1924, children were taught to respect authority, That's what loyalty to church and strict obedience were all about. Today, parents have decided that independence, in other words, do your own thing, and tolerance, said another way, is simply never criticize anyone else, are by far the most important things. Any wonder then that crime rates are soaring, drug and alcohol abuse are at all-time highs, moral values are nearly non-existent. God's Word commands us to train our children in, quote, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, verse 4, and to show our love for them by supplying appropriate discipline, Proverbs 13, verse 24. Common sense, our own experiences, and even the statistics show us that God's way is the right way. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My
1: name is Jim Meisner. I worship at the Church of Christ in Deckerville, Michigan. Be sure to listen to the virtual
0: Bible
3: study and watch it.
0: A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back
1: on the program tonight reminding you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee, and also on the web at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Find out more about us there on our website. Come and visit with us. We'd like for you to join us. And if you've got any questions about anything you've heard or maybe just want to suggest a topic for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study Questions at collegeview.com is the email address you can use to contact us. We we'll look
2: forward to hearing from you. Real quickly, uh, it's not dealing with the blog that we're discussing tonight, but in the chat room, uh, guest nine, 9116 mentioned a six year old child that died suddenly and then asked the question, Would the child, the child wouldn't be saved? We're not saying that at all. No. We, th- we think baptism is a necessity for those who have reached an age of accountability. When they understand their sins and and can be made to comprehend their need for salvation, we don't think a, we think a six-year-old child is still innocent and and would be in a safe condition, not a not a saved condition. They don't have to be saved; they're still in a safe condition in their childhood innocence. Okay. We just want to be clear on that. All right. Yeah. If there's questions about that, yeah,
1: send us an email or get in the chat room there if you want more clarification on that. We're talking about uh, the question, is baptism required for salvation? Is it a necessity? Looking at a blog post from Mr. Bevan uh, Welder in
2: Corpus Christi, Texas, Corpus Christi, Bible, Texas. Bevers, Bible Believers Baptist Church in Corpus
1: Christi. All right. And so uh, he's uh, he's given a thorough explanation of his position. We're trying to give an explanation of ours. Basically, and what he's and, uh, done is he's manner. gone to
2: verses that he knows we use to teach the necessity of baptism. Basically, he's trying to say we're misusing the verses we think we're not. Uh, the next one that he mentioned is Mark sixteen sixteen. He says they only quote half of the verse. They are quick to quote, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved but they're ready to run to another verse the moment you point out that they have left off the last half of the verse the last half of mark 16:16 16, 16 says but he that believeth not shall be damned all right that's, Actually, a that's not true that's
1: a general statement we don't typically quote just half of the verse and we're not afraid of the second half
2: in fact here at college view we for for the last 2 years we've been in a memory verse program, trying to memorize verses. And Mark sixteen sixteen was one of the memory verses. The whole throwing, thing. The whole thing. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. We quote the whole thing. We memorize the whole thing. Now, we can harmonize that yeah. passage. It's more difficult in Mr. Welder's position to harmonize the passage. Yeah, he goes on to say, The condition for salvation is not water baptism, but rather belief. If you don't believe, you will be damned. And he references John 3, 18 and John uh, John three thirty six. If you do believe, you are already saved, according to those verses, John 3.18 and John 3.36. And those who are saved are commanded to be baptized in water after they get saved, like Acts 10.48, Acts 8.36 through 38. Belief first, then water baptism. Well, actually, we agree. Belief comes first, and then water baptism. We agree about that. But he says the condition for salvation is not water baptism, but rather belief. Now, that's not what it says. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Belief and baptism shall be saved. If belief, again, same kind of grammatical argument, Jacob. If belief is a requirement for salvation, he agrees that it is, then baptism is also because they're they're conjoined with the word and. He that believeth, doesn't say he that believeth shall be saved. It says he that believeth. And is baptized shall be saved. It doesn't say he that believeth is saved and should be baptized. That's yeah. the wrong order of events. Yeah. That's yeah. what he's. That's what Mister Welder is saying. But that's not what the text says. The text says he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Yeah. yeah. You know, Sharon yeah. in the chat room mentioned. You know, if an advertisement was made for a million dollars, and it said, uh, "Come to the courthouse and sing Rocky Top." on the steps of the courthouse, and you'll receive a million dollars. Yeah. What would you have to do to get the million dollars? Would you just come to the courthouse? Yeah. No. We we would say, you'd have to come to the courthouse, and you'd have to sing. Nobody would argue that. People would be down there singing Rocky Top at the top of their lungs. Right. If that was advertised in the paper, they would understand that statement. Come to the courthouse and sing Rocky Top. Receive a million dollars. Yeah. Nobody... Nobody would have any difficulty understanding that instruction. It's just that plain here. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, what about that last part of that verse, Jacob? Yeah. What do you have to do to be lost? Well, all you have to do to be lost is just don't believe. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you don't believe, you're not going to be baptized. Yeah. But all you have to do to be lost, it's easier to be lost than it is to be saved. I've heard yeah. it said that way. Yeah. To be saved, you have to believe and be baptized. To be lost, all you have to do is just not believe.
1: Yeah, and chances are, I don't know for sure, but I think chances are, Mister Welder would say, "Well, belief is not all that's required. He that believeth not, or he that confesses not, or he that repents not, will be damned." I think Mister Welder would agree with that. Yeah, he so says, it's not a stretch to say that there's a condition on uh, the associated with belief as well. But it, let's just look at it from just a just a logical uh, statement here. Mister Welder wants us to believe that belief it is associated with salvation. But baptism isn't even remotely connected to it. So if Jesus wants to make a statement about our salvation, he throws in something that's not even remotely connected to it in the statement. What purpose is that? Doesn't that just, that just it's, it's illogical. For instance, let's say that we wanted to make a statement of something like, he that uh, drives his car to Walmart will get there but he who doesn't drive his car won't get there. <laughs> why would I throw something else into the into that statement just muddying the water? Why would I say something like he who drives his car and eats a hot dog will get to Walmart? The hot dog has nothing to do with it. Why would why would Jesus throw baptism into that statement if it's not even remotely connected to our salvation? Yeah. It is clearly that's why he put it in that statement. Otherwise he's just throwing in something that doesn't have a connection,
2: right? Okay, real quickly, I would ask Mr. Welder if, if we'd had a chance to talk to him person personally John 12:42 nevertheless among the chief rulers men also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's John 12 verse 42 and 43. It says they believed. were they saved? Would they be saved? In that situation, they believed. The Bible says they believed. But they would not confess him because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. I think Mr. Welder would agree with us. They were not saved, even though they believed. Sometimes I've heard that passage uh, called the, the description of unsaved believers. Right. Anyway, we've got to move quickly. We're, but
1: but it's yeah, it's not unheard of then to say there's things associated with belief. Baptism is one of them.
2: And exactly. that's all we're saying. Exactly right. All right. All right. Okay. Let's go to the next one. So we've talked about Acts two thirty eight and Mark sixteen sixteen. The next one he brings up is first Peter three twenty one. They like to chop off part of this verse as well. They quote, Baptism doth also now save us. Well there's a lot more to that in that verse than that. For one thing, the first part of the verse says the like figure whereunto even baptism. Let's read that because he's 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 just given us uh, bits and pieces of it yes. and, and we agree that when we look at such verses we need to look at the totality of them and we need to look at yeah. them in their context. Yes. First Peter three twenty one says the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's another one of our memory verses, and we don't chop it up. We quote the whole verse right. mm-hmm. when we practice our memory verses as we do weekly. Uh, but notice the context, the previous verse mentions Noah. It speaks of some who were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water.
3: Yeah.
2: The like figure wherein to, so, you know, you gotta, is considered to be the, the type and anti-type? Yeah. What sort of foreshadowed the, the other? Noah's salvation by faith and obedience foreshadowed the situation that exists now where we by faith and obedience are saved and that obedience includes baptism in water baptism doth also now save us yes and so the figure the the, the symbolism was of what happened to Noah the 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 reality the the fullness of the situation is what happens for us being saved through faith and obedience in Christ Jesus absolutely and the, he wants to to make a, a big to-do
1: about the fact that it's a figure or it's an antitype a type antitype relationship. the fact that it is a figure doesn't make it any less significant it, it's it's just showing that it was foreshadowed uh, the same Greek word I'm sorry yeah the same Greek word is used in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 for christ has not entered into the holy places made with with hands which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself to appear in the presence of god for us the holy places in the old Testament, is the most holy place in the old testament it was real heaven is real it's just a foreshadowing or a relationship yeah. so it is true with here with baptism is it's, it's foreshadowed by the salvation that noah enjoyed and
2: and I would just harp on the phrase, you can't get past the phrase, baptism doth also now save us. If if baptism does, doesn't also now save us, what does baptism do? The verse says baptism doth also now save us. He says, no, it doesn't. Well, what does it do then? Yeah. The, the, the verse says baptism saves us. He says, no, it doesn't. The word figure in front of that
1: doesn't mean, that doesn't negate the statement. The statement still stands, baptism saves us.
2: We agree. It's not just the putting away the filth of flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power of it comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, in the context, the ones who went under, the ones who went under in Noah's flood all drowned and perished. The ones who floated are the ones who were saved. So if you followed their reasoning, the proper method of baptism would be float around in the baptistry for a while. Now, that's a little cynical, I think yeah
1: uh he doesn't believe baptism is a, a floating nor do we no, Baptism uh, the, is immersion
2: no, uh, those who were saved in noah's day believe noah believed and obeyed yeah. and he was saved we believe and obey and we're saved that's yeah. the that's the pattern that's okay. the figurative figurative water happened behavior.
1: to be associated with both of them but. he says
2: water can't put away the fill of flesh the only thing that uh, that in the context can put away and save us is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We agree. Yep. The power in it is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, he says that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning of verse 13. We agree. Water baptism is the answer of good conscience toward God once you're saved. No. It's it's our conscience responding to God, the answer of good in other words we're convicted of our sins. We want salvation. We answer God by obeying his commands. All right. Let's grab our last break, Jacob. And we got two more. We've got to go too quickly. John 3, verses 5 through 6 and Romans 6, verses 3 through
1: 6. We'll get on those on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this.
0: Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College
3: View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the twenty-first century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the Virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number any time. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study and hope to hear from you soon.
2: We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study From 1990 to 2000, the combined membership of all Protestant denominations in the USA declined by almost 5 million members, or 9.5%, while the U.S. population itself increased by 24 million, almost 11%. At the turn of the previous century, that is 1900, there was a ratio of 27 churches per 10,000 people, as compared to the close of this last century, the year 2000, where we had just 11 churches per 10,000 people in America. The United States now ranks third following China and India in the number of people who are not professed Christians. In other words, the U.S. is becoming an ever-increasing unreached people group. Half of all churches in the U.S. did not add any new members to their ranks in the last two years. That information is via churchleadership.org. The Word of God says in Psalm 9, verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God.
0: Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program.
2: Back on the program tonight, going to the top
1: of the hour and going fast, as we look at two more passages presented by Mr. Welder. Uh, He says, do not show
2: baptism, Mr. required." We're reviewing his blog. This is Bevan Welder, uh, preacher for the Bible Believers Baptist Church in Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi, Texas. Bevins Welder. And we and
1: he, he's done it. hes He's been kind and gracious in his, his uh, uh, dealing with the subject. We're trying to do the same.
2: Yeah, we, we obviously disagree and disagree, seriously disagree, but we, yeah. we respect him for putting out his position, uh, and we want to answer it. Right. Because he, basically he's tried to s- say we've misused these verses, and we're trying to demonstrate we haven't misused them. We're actually trying to apply them just exactly. Yeah. So the next one that he mentions that we misuse is John 3, verses 5 and 6. Now, you may remember John 3 is when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Uh, Jesus said, let's read a little bit more. He mentions just verse 5 and 6. Let's start back at verse 3. Jesus said unto him, uh, Verily I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born again, or how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily I say to thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter to the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. All right, now here's what mister Mr. Welder said. He said Here they say that to be born of water is water baptism, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said right in the context that to be born of water is to be born of the flesh, verses 5 and 6. He interpreted this for you. So when a woman prepares to deliver a baby, her baptism breaks, right? Of course not. Her water breaks. Do you get it? The flesh birth is a water birth. Well, I just think that's complete perversion of of the text. Jesus says, this is all about, and it's interesting that he didn't go to the full context of this. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yes. So this is all about being born again, right? Nicodemus said, well, how could I, would I have to enter into my mother's womb again and be born a second time? No, it's not about that. Jesus basically says, no, it's not about that. He says, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the being born again involves being born of water and the Spirit. Basically, Nicodemus says, are we talking about being born of your mother? Maybe being born a second time by your mother? Are we talking about, is the water the water of natural childbirth? Jesus basically says, it's not about your mother here. We're not talking about being born of your mother. We're talking about being Born again. The context is about being born again, and being born again involves water and spirit. Uh, except a man, he, Jesus explains the born again. He's it, Notice verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The parallel statement is in verse 5, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Do you see that? So to be born again is to be born of water and the spirit. Jesus was teaching water baptism. It wasn't anything at all to do with the waters of childbirth. Uh, the, the context of this passage, I think, clearly shows that. Another passage that helps
1: provide some backing to what you've said is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, where the water and the Spirit are mentioned in unison again there relating to our salvation, the salvation of the church. Verse 25 of Hebrews or Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Or in other words, being born of water and of the spirit. Washing of water by the word. The spirit being the word there.
2: Uh, they're connected. Yeah.
1: Baptism is directed by the
2: spirit. Uh, Titus 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. By the way, there's that re- word regeneration. It doesn't say baptismal regeneration. We were saying earlier, we never used that expression. It's not even a biblical expression. But there is a notion of regeneration. And he talks about the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. I would parallel that to being born of water and the Spirit. Okay. Uh, and then 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and the forever. The born again, the spirit part of that is the word, teaches us what to do, and we respond in obedience to, to baptism.
1: All right. Let us know your thoughts. Look forward to hearing from you in the remaining minutes of the program tonight.
2: All right. Real quickly, the last one. We talk about Acts two thirty eight, Mark sixteen, sixteen, first Peter three twenty one, John three, verses five through six. He mentions Romans six verses three through six. He says Romans six verse three through six is a description of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, first Corinthians twelve thirteen. This is the process whereby the Holy Spirit so literally makes you a part of the body of Christ that you actually baptized into his death. You are buried with him, and you shall be with you shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The baptism of Romans 6, verses 3 through 6, is something that no baptistry in the world can do for you. That is something that only the Holy Spirit can do for you. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. You might be interested to know that not only does the word water not appear in Romans 6, it does not appear anywhere in the entire book of Romans. So why would anyone think they could find water baptism there? They could only only if they were desperately looking to prove a heresy. All right. Uh Well, I, I just challenge everyone to read Romans chapter 6. He says, Know ye not that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. Uh, Baptism is a burial, it says. Uh, how How would that be Holy Spirit baptism? He's saying that this is Holy Spirit baptism that's being described in Romans 6. I don't think it is. Holy Spirit baptism is nowhere commanded in the New Testament. We said earlier Holy Spirit baptism is only evidenced two times in the New Testament. Acts 2, the case of the apostles. Acts 10, the case of Cornelius and his household. It was never commanded. It was always only promised. Jesus himself being the administrator of that promise. Jesus uh, uh, said in Acts 1, uh, uh, well, the promise is in Acts 1 beginning verse 4. Wait in Jerusalem for the for the promise of the Father, which He said, "You've heard of Me." John baptized yeah. with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days since it yeah. was a promise; it wasn't a command. Uh, this is a command. Baptism is a command, and and we are buried with Him in baptism. How 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 does Holy Spirit constitute a burial? That's a good point. Let's
1: let's let's imagine. Let's 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 take it that it is Holy Spirit baptism. Now, so we're buried in the Holy Spirit. In baptism, right? We're buried in him. But notice what we do. We're raised out of that to walk in newness of life. If we've been buried in the Holy Spirit, we, does that mean we come out of it when oh, we're raised good. up?
2: That's a good point. Where does the analogy breaks down. The imagery bad?
1: doesn't work. Yeah, it only yeah. works if it's water. You're buried in the water, and then you're raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah. The, the burying is what you do with the dead man. You, and so... We uh, die to sin. You're die to sin, you're buried, and then you're raised to, to walk in newness of life. A- as you get out of that burial, then you're raised to walk in newness of life. It just doesn't work, a- and as the imagery doesn't work there, if it's Holy Spirit baptism. I think you're exactly right. That's a good point
2: to make, uh, I believe. Um, so Romans 6, I think, is clearly teaching baptism in water for the remission of sins. We're buried, we rise to walk in newness of life. He, he said later in that same chapter, Romans 6 verse 17, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. This was the doctrine delivered to them, that they had to be baptized and they chose to obey that. Yeah. How would, how would, how can Holy Spirit baptism be something I obey? How does that work? Yeah. And
1: it, it's a very definitive thing here because I, I know at, at this point I'm dead to sin and I rise to walk in new. How do I know that that's occurred?
2: Yeah. And, and how would it be something I obeyed? Holy Spirit, it, it, I don't think Holy Spirit baptism happens today. I think right. that was a limited thing in the first century for specific purposes. But if if it did, how could it be that I my obedience causes it? If Even if it was happening, which I don't think it is, that's something the Holy Spirit does, not something I do. Right. I don't see it. Okay.
1: As we wrap up today, um, we've got to look at a question from guest 9116. Why do so many denominations not believe it's a requirement, that being baptism, if it is so clearly stated in the text? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Why do so many folks. Uh, that is a baffling question to me. I've never really been able to explain that. Uh, people are devoted to the doctrine of salvation by faith only. And I think it's an overreaction to what
1: happened in the Reformation with the Catholic Church. That folks saw some problems in the Catholic Church, and then Martin Luther and John Calvin started Which, uh, their faith-only the, position. I think it was an overreaction, and people have are going to live and die by that without looking at the Scriptures, I think, yeah. clearly to see.
2: I, uh, a good question, I think, is a person with no religious Preconceptions whatsoever. They never even heard anything about Christianity or anything taught in the Bible, and they picked up their Bible and read Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. What would that person think that meant? Well, to me, there's no doubt what he would think of meant. Or a person that, that same person turned over to Acts two thirty eight. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost a completely non-biased, non-prejudiced, person had no preconceptions, what would he think when he read that? He would think repentance and baptism were necessary to have forgiveness of sins. Uh, you, I mean, you, you have to go to these verses we've talked about tonight with a preconceived agenda, and therefore you have to work desperately to explain them away. Because as uh, in our chat room says, uh, is so clearly stated in the text it is so clearly stated in the text and if you wanted to write a statement that said you have
1: to be leave and be baptized in order to be saved how could you write it any
2: way well, how other? would you say it how would you how say could it? you
1: say it any clearer than the way it's been said yeah you as you said you've got to have some some
2: hey jacob in guess. the chat room uh our regular listener uh she's got the number 826 tonight but she has finished listening to all of the virtual Bible studies. She started in January wow. and finished yesterday. That's over 500 hours worth of, of in a, virtual Bible study. In about Eleven months. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, congratulations, Jay. You've, you've done. You, you you stand alone. No yeah. one else has
1: ever done that. Yeah, if we had a prize to give you, you definitely would uh, <laughs> yeah. want to get a prize yeah. for that. Thank you very yeah. much for, for listening. That's an encouragement.
2: Sharon says one of the reasons why people won't accept that is because they don't want their family members, friends, and preachers to be lost because they didn't believe in baptism. Uh, and then she uses an expression. I've heard people say, my mother was the best woman I ever knew. If she wasn't saved, no one will be saved. And so they say, uh, you know. I'm not going to believe in baptism because my beloved mother wasn't baptized, and yet she was a good person. I think she was saved.
1: We're not teaching salvation by works of merit. We're not saying you're earning your salvation, but we're saying that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall be saved, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. This is clearly the will of God. We must be obedient if we want to be saved. Right. All right. Good discussion night. We welcome those who might disagree with us. Contact us anytime. We want to give you
2: we'd some air time. To, We'd be glad to have a a live give and take on this kind of a subject. Glad to let you state your position for
1: all to hear it. So if you contact us anytime, questions at com. Thanks to Justin for manning the boards. Did an expert job on his first time behind the wheel. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Back, to him. Thank you again for listening. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.